All right, so I'm Nick. I think as I said before, I might not have said that. Um, this is Michael Chesterman. We call him Chesterman, but he ref prefers Michael. Um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and that's Patrick. Um, and uh, we're going to go through Ecclesiastes 4 with you today. Um, you know, yesterday was my 17-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Um, I know. And you know, it's funny, I, I told Rick Bloomquist that, I was like, yeah, 17 years, and he made this face. And I realized in his head, he was going, but you're so young and attractive. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He, um, he really was like, but wait, how old are you? You know, because the joke is we got married in middle school, but we did not. We were very young, but we did not. I'm 37 years old, so you can do some math and get there pretty quick. But, you know, Solomon, I was thinking about this yesterday, because Solomon has said of 700 wives, every day is his anniversary, <laughs> I guess. Multiple anniversaries a day. You just had an anniversary too, didn't you? I did. I did. It was awesome. We got what, to celebrate. What day was it? It was on uh, Friday. Friday. Oh, but your wife's out of town. Yeah. So I celebrated you... with some mac and cheese, but it was fancy because it had bacon. Ah. <laughs> bacon makes everything fancy. It really does. That's awesome. Um, and so, I've, you know, we're thinking about Solomon and going through, I mean, this has been a really cool series for me, just knowing this book real well. Tons of little phrases that we've heard many times, but really grasping it all in context is fun. Last week you heard uh, Tim mention the Song of Solomon, another book that uh, Solomon wrote. So we decided that we would play on that just for fun for a second, and we're going to play a little game called Gosling or Gospel. I'm going to put a quote up on the screen. It's going to be either from the notebook or from the Song of Solomon. And you're going to play with me. We're going to go pretty quick, okay? So let's go number one. You are the answer to every prayer I've offered. You are a song, a dream, a whisper. If you think that's from the notebook, raise your hand. All right. We got, we got some hands. If you think that is Song of Solomon, raise your hand. The answer is the notebook. Okay. Some, some of y'all aren't playing. You have to play. Hey, let... No one's marking whether you're wrong or not, so just go for it. Okay, the first service, a lot of notebook fans in there. They, I don't know if they knew Song of Solomon, but they knew which ones were the notebook. <laughs> okay, all right, next one. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. If you think this is Ryan Gosling from the notebook, raise your hand. If you think it is Song of Solomon, raise your hand. A lot more Song of Solomon, give yourselves a hand. Good job. Good job. And last one, last one. Everything about you is beautiful. There is nothing at all wrong with you. Gosling? Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. All right. I actually did really well at this. We were going over this, and, uh, and Nick was like, wow, you, you really know... I was like, no, it's not the Song of Solomon. I actually know the notebook really well. Yeah. Despite Patrick's appearance, Patrick really, this is genuine. This is not a joke. Loves chick flicks. He does. Roman he, romantic comedies. I like watching um, the musicals. I like, <laughs> and I like drinking hot tea. <laughs> 
Those, which hot tea is manly? That's literally how America got started, was a dispute over hot tea. They, America's founders got America. Pissed. There we go. There we go. So similar to this, um, we see a very ecclesiastical type writing in modern day. I don't know if ecclesiastical is a word, I, I, but now it is. Now you used it. Use it next time you play Words with Friends. Thanks for laughing at that one. Um, so there's this guy. He invents a little game called Minecraft. Who knows what that is? Okay, everybody? No more of you know what Minecraft is. No participation today. We've got to work on this. Um, this guy sold his creation to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. Billion. With a B. With a B. He builds a $70 million house on the hills in California looking over Los Angeles. And I swear to you, look it up. It looks like Tony Stark's house from Iron Man. Okay, he's got an elevator to move his Bugattis up and down. He's got all this stuff, and he has a candy wall. A candy wall. It, yeah, and that is what you think it is. Okay, you're like, what is a candy wall? No, it's, it's what you not think the it same is. Same thing. It's the, giant the, tubes against this whole wall full of candy, right next to his gym, which is needed. <laughs> no kidding. Priorities. Right. It's. I mean, it's crazy. He is a ton of insane money, right? Well, he started expressing himself on Twitter, and it sounds a lot like Solomon in a lot of ways. Here's three of his tweets. I found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. I know that's a little funny. This one is not. <laughs> Hanging out in Ibiza, Spain with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. This is a question we all ask us of where will I be satisfied? And this guy literally has everything and anything he wants. And he realized that seek... As far as I know, he's not a Christian. But what I know as someone who knows Jesus and who has read Ecclesiastes, you cannot be satisfied in what you're not built to be satisfied with. And so when we have this idea in our mind of, oh, things will be better if I finally do this, or I finally make this amount of money, or whatever it is, you won't be satisfied there unless you realize and decide to surrender and be content with your relationship with God. And it's led him down a path of like total isolation, which is intriguing because we all have had a feeling of, if only I made this much money, then I wouldn't have this stressor or whatever. And he realized I made all this money and I lost every relationship I had. And even the ones I do have, why are they there? can't be open with anyone. Ecclesiastes 4, this is really the theme of all Ecclesiastes, but in 4, he really hammers down on human relationships. You are built for two relationships, with God and with other people. And since the beginning of humanity, um, we have tended to rebel against God. And even 2,500 years ago, Solomon was seeing people who were choosing to live isolated lives. 
and some of the reasons why he thought that was happening. And Ecclesiastes 4 addresses these things. And so we're going to dive into that today. And so no more gosling and gospel. We're getting a little more serious now. But you did good. I'm proud of you. Um, it seemed like there was more spread knowledge for the 920. Definitely knows the notebook. All right. So we're going to start in verse 7. So we're going to skip down a little bit. Then I looked again at the vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end at all to his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. So in verses 7 and 8, Solomon's kind of laying it out there. He's seeing this guy who I kind of labeled as this type of person is a workaholic. So he's seeing somebody working and working and working, and why is he doing it? There's no one that he's doing it for. He doesn't have friends or family to really invest in, to pour that money into. There's nothing he's really going after except for more wealth. Constantly working for the same thing, but never satisfied. Um, and so as you look at what he's doing, you kind of start to think, why is he doing this? And he's never satisfied. And it amazes me at how many times in my life and other people's lives that we constantly say, if I just had this, if I just did this, if I just went here, I would be happy or I would be better or life would be much better. I mean, we constantly are struggling with that battle every day. Um, and I think Solomon just kind of points it out and lays it out there that it's vanity. It is meaningless. It is a grievous task. And grievous means a severely bad thing. It is not good to be toiling and doing these things with no purpose, with no end, and always thinking the next step is where you want to be, but then you're not satisfied. You want the next step and the next step, and there's no end. Um, and so it's just this vicious cycle that you get caught up in. And as consumers in, in our world, that's constantly what you want. You want the new iPhone. You want the new computer. You want the new this. And you're like, oh, if I just had that, then I can get this promotion that I've always wanted, you know. And life is going to be better. If we just had a little bit more income, then we could actually put money in savings. Well, you'd probably just end up spending more because it's your spending habits that are the issue. Um, and so Solomon's laying it out there saying that we strive and we deprive ourselves of real pleasure and enjoyment because we're chasing after something that we will never be satisfied with. So why do you do it and not go after the things that you enjoy or that you really want to? Um, and I just think it's interesting. And I was like, why is this guy doing this? Why is this a thing? And I think the answer is in verse four, when it says, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. That's huge. Why do you do what you do? It's so you can have the best thing. It's so you can brag about what you have, what you're doing. You see somebody else who has something and you want it. That is a consumerist mindset. You see something on a commercial or in an ad and you're like, oh, that would make my life better. That would make my life easier. If I only had this, then I can do this. And it's a constant struggle. Um, and here at the cross, we say that comparison is the death of contentment. When you start comparing what other people have and analyzing yourself with that, you're going to feel so unfulfilled because your drive is going to be based on what other people have, even though you could have a storeroom of stuff and you just don't care. But you want to have it to say that you have it. And I don't think that social media is a great way to do this, but that's what it's used for. Not every post, you know, you get some really nice ones like anniversary posts, right? Um, but for the most part, it's saying, look at where I am, look at what I'm doing, look at who I'm with, and look at what I'm eating. 
and everybody looking is usually, that looks really good. And so the more likes you get, the more kind of fulfilled you can feel, but it doesn't last very long. Um, and so we post edited pieces of our life so that others can be jealous and that we get jealous of what others are posting. And that's not a good thing. When you're constantly looking at other people and you're not satisfied, then that means there's something in you that's not fulfilled, that's not whole. And that leads you to feel empty and lonely and isolated. And Nick, you were doing some research on just kind of isolation and what it looks like, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, the uh, loneliness is kind of an epidemic in, in our culture, but they really started studying it like um, in the 50s. And um, they found like, it's, it's a very interesting topic because we just think, well, it's so easily solved if you just go out, but it's really not. I mean, they're, they're having a, uh, a hard time, like in Britain right now, they realize that loneliness is such an issue that they've developed like this hotline that's strictly for lonely people. If you just want to call and talk to somebody similar to if you mark the baptism card and you just want me to call you, right? I guess. Right? And people just call mainly elderly people who live alone, right? Because that's more common than ever because society has shifted. You're not learning your dad's business and all staying close. I mean, your kids grow up here in Loganville. The chances that they will stay in Loganville, who knows? Because their job might take them to another state or to another continent. You have no idea. And that's kind of a new phenomenon, you know, for it to be so massive. And without those close relationships, we experience loneliness at a whole nother level. And some of the things I was reading, it was saying loneliness is an indicator in your body, just like hunger or thirst. It's your body telling you you're lacking something. So when you're experiencing that loneliness, your body's physically telling you, like, we need to be with other people. They even like were doing things with mice and they would, they're together and they were like measuring dopamine levels in their brain or something and they separated them for a short period of time and like those levels like went way down because I guess that's like a joy thing. I'm not a scientist. Um, and then they bring them back together and, and within seconds, those levels would skyrocket because they wanted to be with each other. You want to be with other people. And said loneliness is not only like uh we can see that leading to depression and things like that but um they said lone emotional isolation is ranked as high a fa risk factor for mortality as smoking a partial list of physical diseases that thought to be caused or exasperated by loneliness would include Alzheimer's, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, neurodegenerative diseases, and even cancer. Tumors can metastasize faster in lonely people. You sounded like a scientist. When you read scientists, that's what happens. There was about five words in there I had to think really hard about um, to uh, articulate correctly. And so... Like Britain, they're saying smoking is an issue, so we do campaigns to help with that. Loneliness is just as much of an issue. How do we attack this for the health of our people? And in our modern society, we kind of look at doing something on our own as it's a, uh, um, almost something to be proud of, right? Instead of moving together and having community, you know? So the, the prime example for me in, in this was uh, um, I was in Kenya and 
we are, we built this medical center. And when I say we, I mean the organization I was with. It was already built when I got there. And there was a road that went to it. And there was three enormous trees, like huge trees. They cut them down, but they needed to get the root balls out of these holes. And so you're talking root balls the size of a, uh, like, Volkswagen Beetle. Okay? It's huge. And um, what they did, <laughs> I walk up to it. They're like, hey, we need to get this out. And I walk up and I went, oh, good luck. <laughs> right? Let's go get a forklift and a, something. Right? Let's buy it. Let's go rent something. But that's not how they do things. They do it together. So they tied about 35 ropes around this thing. They went and got about 50 guys from the village, me included, and got us all on one, on one side of this thing and pulled this. I have no idea how much it weighs, but my hands are bleeding at the end of it because it was not a quality rope. But we pull this thing out, and I'm like, that's incredible because that's how we used to do everything. We'd go grab our – we had a problem. We'd say, can you come help me with this? right? We'd have, you didn't raise a barn by yourself. You grabbed the community to do it. But things have shifted in that. And we take away this vital piece inside of how we were made to be with other people. Right. And, and how, how interesting is that, that as Christians, we know we're not meant to be alone. This is, this is a biblical truth that we know and understand. But how interesting is it that the world also gets this concept that we're not made to be alone. Not just with the, the scientific world, not just with the medical community, but anywhere you look, if you look in sports, all these single player sports, golfers, they have a caddy that follows them around and talks with them and they can talk to things over with. Um, NASCAR, how many NASCAR fans do we have? Oh, y'all didn't woo or nothing. Yeah, NASCAR um, fans are supposed to woo, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Woo! <laughs> Um, but even NASCAR, this guy that's driving by himself, he has a crew chief in his ear the entire time as he goes around the track. Turn left, turn, turn left, left, turn left. Now, I, I know you're going to get ready for this. You're going to have to turn right. No, I'm going to turn left. No, you're going to turn right. Um, and even in the entertainment field, the, the biggest hypocrite, the Lone Ranger, had Tonto. Loan is literally in your name, and you have a dude that just follows you around the entire time. You're not really alone. So you're not the lone ranger. You're just the rangers. <laughs> but that's because the, the world gets it because deep down, they know that's how we're built. And even if you look back at the, the beginning of creation when God is laying all these things out in Genesis 2.18, uh, it says, then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So as, as Solomon is laying all these things out, and, and we get to, to verse 9, um, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Now, I find this interesting that he, he's talking about th this loneliness. This guy that I'm pretty sure was, if he was capable of being alone, he had to go and seek out solitude, right? I mean, this guy had all of these wives, all of these concubines, all of these servants, all these advisors, all these dudes constantly hanging around. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not just talking about these people that are hanging around that we're just kind of next to 
It uses the word companion, right? And so what he's talking about is, is not this, you're next to somebody. It's, it's this both physical and, and spiritual and emotional companionship, right? This community relationship. Um, a lot how, like we find in this small group, people that know you, that do life with you, that are there with you to struggle with you, to, to experience joy with you, who truly know you. And I myself have experienced this about, about six months ago. I was in a really rough spot and I go, it's small group day. So we're, we're, me and my wife are going to small group and I really just was in this funk. And I said, you know what? I don't want to deal with this tonight. So I'm just going to put on the Patrick mask. I'm going to, you know, act how I would normally act. And uh, so I go through the, the small group and my friend Danny, who is, who's in the small group with us, I get home and he texts me. He goes, hey man, what's up? I said, nothing, what's up with you? He goes, well, what's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong. What are you, what are you talking about? And uh, he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, you weren't you. I thought I did a pretty good job of it. I'm me every day. But Danny knew me better than that. Had it been a stranger, someone I was just interact, you know, not really interacting with, but just walking, you know, and sitting down next to, would have never been able to tell. But because Danny knew me, because he's done life with me, he was able to tell there's something off, there's something wrong. I love him enough that I'm going to talk to him about it. Danny encouraged me too yesterday. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he ever been to Universal Joint in Lawrenceville? Um, the, the parking lot's real weird, right? And I have an F-150. It's not a huge one, but it's, I'm, but I'm not comparing it to other people's F-150s. Um, I, uh, so I pull in there. We're a little early, um, and so I'm like, well, maybe we'll get in. And, we'll, and so there's a parking spot like straight ahead. I pull in, and I'm like, there's not a parking spot right next to me. It's going to be easy. I'll be able to swing it out. Because when you have my car, as a lot of you uh, Loganville truck owners know, you have to plan for your escape sometimes. So you back in or you find or whatever. I'm like, this will be cake. There's no car right here. I'll swing it out. Well, when you have a tiny little parking lot, people park where they want. And so he, this dude parks right next to me. There is like no way for me to swing this thing. And I'm backing up a little bit. I have a plan. I'm like, Hook, and doing that Austin Powers thing like this, you know? And I'm like, I try to go this way and I, and I go have half a plan. I'm like, oh. I look in my rear view. There's this white car sitting there waiting for my spot. You know, I'm sweating. And Lisa, Lisa says to me three times, just back out the whole way because it's, then I would have been fine. And I'm like, no, no, I mean, I don't even know if there's room for me to come or whatever. So after the third time, I did back out because 17 years, it took me three times to, to know she was right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I back out. I'm driving home. Who was in that white car waiting on me, laughing at me the whole time? The joiners. And he sent me a text. Very encouraging. Great job getting out of that parking lot, buddy. <laughs> so, there's, I mean, I enjoyed that highly. So, it so, still was community. Right, right. Because sometimes you, you just have to watch and laugh. So, sometimes that's what community is as well. Um, and so, this is what we're made for. And this is why we keep hitting that, that Ortberg quote that how we're designed 
that there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fill and a people-shaped hole in our hearts that God refuses to fill because he wants us to desire that relationship. He wants us to desire community. He wants us to desire interaction because he knows it's good for us because he knew it wasn't good for us to be alone. And, I, and unfortunately, the, the more advanced our society gets, we create all these things that we don't have to. We can do it on our own. There's literally sections of self-help books in bookstores. Men, we like to do the, I'm a man, I'm gonna do it by myself. And it's, it's honestly, it's, most of the time it's stupid. Most of the time, like I'm sitting there struggling, going, I can't do this by myself. Like I'm lifting something, and usually that's when we realize it when something is heavy and it's gonna fall on us, and we're like, this was a bad idea. This was, I didn't think this one through. Um, so, I mean, it, it's just really interesting, and this is something that, you know, we've been talking about in the office, just how this consumerism society, these things that we've built and created for us to, to avoid what we're made to, to have. Exactly. I mean, that, that goes back to that Africa story, but the, um, the consumerism is funky, too, because it kind of... Um, infiltrates everything in, in your life, right? I, it's easier for me to pay somebody to come do something, one, because I can yell at them when it's wrong, because I'm paying you, right? I don't have a relationship. Lisa's looking at me like, what? You don't yell at anybody. <laughs> that's, that's the face you just gave me. The, um, I can hold them at a different standard, maybe, right? But, I mean, like, God forbid you ask somebody to help you move, right? Like, that's the, the worst thing you could ever ask somebody. Like, you want me to carry things with you? Oh, that's horrible. I mean, our last moving experience, we had um, a couple people from here, and it was insane how, how helpful they were. I asked a couple young people, um, and they came, but then just so a couple people heard we were moving and said, oh, we'll come help you. Um, Alan Trailer literally unpacked what I packed wrong in the truck. I didn't know it was wrong at the time, but he looked at it and went, we can be more efficient, we'll get more in here. And it was August in, in a U-Haul. And he's just in there sweating, unpacked it, packed it back. I bet he's killer at Tetris. And I mean, it was, it was insane, right? But that was so um, you know, honoring, and it bonded us in a way that, like, it was saying, hey, good to see you. Doesn't. Let's lift this couch together and be disgusting together in this thing, and we'll just sweat it out and talk about whatever. And you, you bond. I mean, the reason Danny can call out Patrick when he's not normal is because he knows what normal is for Patrick. Is Patrick normal? No. <laughs> okay, so... There's he, a baseline. Yeah, he knows where the baseline is for Patrick. And so he can look at it and say, man, that's not what you're like normally. You don't know that in one or two visits from people. You know that from being with people over and over and over again. You know, and we're blessed to be at a place, I mean, the, the three of us, um, where we do life together like not many businesses and honestly not many churches do where we sit together and we talk about deep things you know and I mean Esposito comes just to do that he'll come hang out with us because he's like I just need some like soul talk with dudes um, and for some reason guys especially and I can't speak for women but it seems like this is easier for you it seems like you love to, to get to get together and talk right go to the bathroom in groups that's true I've never looked at Nick and go, you want to go pee? (laughs) 
That's truth. He has never done that. Um, but um, for guys, it, it is tough, you know, and um, I've seen such value in men having close men relationships that are real honest, where you can call each other out on things, um, but it's hard sometimes for guys. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. I have some theories. The, the, living exposed and people knowing your junk, there's risk in it for sure. But I'm not sure you can live the Christian life without it. I'm not sure you can't without this outside observation. You know, I mean, I was thinking about, uh, he's talking about the golfer analogy that he plays by himself, but he has this team behind him. You know, in the, in the glory days of Tiger Woods, when he was dominating the world, he has Butch, his coach, and if him and Butch go play a, game, a round together, he's going to destroy Butch. Because if that wasn't the case, Butch would be the one getting the bigger check. So why does he even have Butch? He's better at this game than Butch is. Butch has an outside perspective, and that perspective is so valuable to him that he's paying him a chunk of money, a large chunk of money, I assume, to say, tell me what I'm doing wrong. So why do we avoid it? And our Christian walk, why do we avoid having somebody close enough to us who will say, like, I don't know if you handled that right? Because I, we, us, we want to grow. We want to get better. I don't want to say, like, oh, yeah, I got this figured out. Salvation, sweet. Now what else can we do? But that's the typical Christian thought process, unfortunately, in America. And so we want to get better. We want to move forward, and this is why he's talking about this community and two being better than one. This, this is one of those reasons. And I think one of the killers of community is competition, right? When you start growing and getting to where you want to go, you know, that competition and that fear of wanting to be the best. And if you're not, you feel like you're exposed and that kind of thing happens. Um, and if you can't celebrate with somebody who's succeeding where you want to succeed at, then you're doing something wrong. If you're not celebrating when somebody else succeeds and you're really trying to, then it's not worth it, you know? And that's actually evil competition, and that's where that comes in, and that just divides unity, and it divides groups and people. Um, and so you need to be willing to be there and uplift each other and cheer on. I mean, if you're watching sports, I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, but um, if you're watching sports and the other team does an awesome play, are you going to rejoice because that was a really skillful play that that person did? Or are you just going to get mad that your team might have lost because of that play? Are you going to celebrate with that person's promotion? Or are you going to just be mad because you wanted that promotion? I mean, can you celebrate when somebody else is succeeding and you're not? Or do you rejoice at other people's failures? Because that's not good either. Um, but that's why community and getting to know people is important to have people around you to call you out on stuff and to be there for you and just to walk with you. Yeah, the rivalry thing is interesting because if work is good, but if you're doing it out of rivalry so that you can say, oh, I have a candy wall or whatever, um, you know, there's just, there's no benefit in it, you know, instead uh, to work hard and say, look what we did together you know, inside of that bonding, because you are built to know each other and be with each other. Verse 11 and 12. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. This made us think of this movie clip right here. 
Hey, you know, maybe if we huddle together, we could share our body warmth. I read in my Time Life book, people can survive that way. I mean, we're three 98.6s. How much is that, Glenn? 295.8. That's too hot. So what are you saying? Well, I'm saying we should hug. That was one of my favorite movies growing up because it was the only movie my grandma had on VHS and she had no cable. So when we go there, I just watched it over and over again. Um, but that, this is, uh, um, as a concept, you hear this and you go, well, I have central heating, Solomon, so I don't, I don't need to pay attention to this one, <laughs> right? And neither of these, I, I was thinking about this in between services. I have central heating and I carry a handgun. So why do I need anyone? Because I can't be overpowered or otherwise, right? That would be the Loganville response. What he's saying is, you, you need each other more than just being warm. I mean, this is far more than a physical thing he's describing. He's saying you want to know this companionship is something that's so necessary in your life that it could save your life, right? If you're in this situation with Billy Crystal one day. And... Um, and also save your life from the uh, people coming after you when you have multiple people. When Patrick's on the SWAT team years ago, he doesn't go after somebody by himself and go, I hope they come to the front door when I knock. Right? He brings some dudes with him. So you go around the back, you stand on the side, and you go over here because we are taking him out of here. And I can't and guard all the doors. And I'm not going to lie, the, the verse before that with the body heat, I've, I've been in the military. Sometimes it gets pretty cold, like in the desert. And you look at your buddy and go, you look pretty warm. <laughs> you want a hug? <laughs> Patrick has never asked me to go to the bathroom with him or to snuggle. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but I mean, there, there, there is, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the physical, the, the physicality of what they're saying, the literal translation of what he's saying when there's a spiritual application you know, if you fall, there's somebody, it's better to have somebody there to help you back up. If you stumble as a Christian, it's there for someone to help pick you back up. That even, even the sharing of the, the body heat, you're, you're generating something. When you do life with somebody, you generate emotion, you generate joy, and you generate sadness, and you share that with other people. And it's good to, to go back in this fourth to help keep each other going. And I mean, even when it talks about overpowering, there is a very real enemy against Christians that we, we need help to fight off. I mean, that's what it, that's what it talks about when it, you know, we're, we're sheep. Well, the wolves don't just go straight in and charge the herd. They wait and watch. And when that one sheep strays away, that's when they're going to attack. That's when they're going to devour. Lions do the same thing. And that's what our enemy does. He looks for those that are weak because they're by themselves. You know, you're saying that it just made me think of zebras. They run in herds, but lions, they'll see it as one giant long stripe animal, so they won't attack it until one's by itself. So that's just kind of... Well, so we look at this, and even the world knows that being alone is bad. We know this is a biblical truth, but why as a society do we not do it? And there, there's really one good answer. Um, and if you read through this, you know, there's 16 verses. If you read through the 16 verses, um, there's one that's, that's pretty cryptic that when we read it, it's verse five. 
And it says, the fool folds his hand and consumes his own flesh. Now that made us... Now we'll show a clip from Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Right, this one he's definitely not talking about, you know, the physically consuming his own flesh. He's he's being, you know, he's being a little cryptic on this one. Um, So we looked and we're like, okay, what is this? What's what's Solomon trying to say here? And we looked it up. um, And what he's talking about is the fool is the person who doesn't plant his fields and expects them to grow. He doesn't go harvest, but still expects his food to, to be, you know, in the storage. He doesn't fix his own meal and he still expects to eat. The fool is lazy. And uh, if you want to get broad, you can really classify two types of people because the fool who's lazy, he's, he's more of the consumer. But then you have the, the, on the opposite side, you have the contributor. So you have the, the fool and the faithful. There, there's two sides to this coin. And they, they even have this different expectations. The consumer expects to do very little and put forth very little effort, but still expects a big return. The contributor, they'll put forth as much as they can and seldom expect anything in return. So, I mean, and this, not just talking about, but what is the spiritual application? And we have two different types of relationships. We have horizontal and vertical, right? And the consumer and contributor mindset falls into both of these, that the consumer on the, on the horizontal with people, they avoid people. These are the people that they come in, they don't talk to anybody, and as soon as service is done, they're, they're leaving and they're going back home. These are the people that they never join small groups for whatever reason. Maybe it is because they don't want to be exposed, or maybe it is because they're, they're fear of judgment. But these people also never serve. They like to come and they like to enjoy all the, you know, they like to enjoy the cafe. They like to enjoy being greeted. They like to enjoy dropping their kids off. But when someone says, hey, do you want to? No, whoa, I don't want to do that. That means I got to be around people. That means I have to do things. And it works the same. They're usually the same way with God. If they're going to be like this with one relationship, usually they're like this with both. Um, on, the, on the vertical, they only pray when someone up on stage says, hey, let's pray. They only open their Bible when scripture pops up on the screen. Throughout the week, it's on the shelf. These are the people that, they don't fully surrender. They're not going to surrender because then that means they have to give something up. And these are the people that when something happens, they're confused and don't understand why people weren't there and why people didn't know about it, why people weren't there to help them. And then they're confused of, well, why am I not growing as a Christian? Because you're not putting forth any effort. And the contributors on the, on the flip side, on the vertical, these are the people that they come in and they, they talk to everybody. They're interacting with the body. They're committed going to small groups because they want that interaction. They want to to the people to be able to have this outside perspective and tell them when, hey, you're straying or, hey, I know you're not doing good. And these are the people that day in and day out are the hands and feet of Jesus. And these are the people that they stand in the gap and they pick up the slack. And it transfers over to their vertical relationship with, with God. 
They pray boldly and constantly. They study the scripture because they're hungry and they want to know who God is and they want to know more about God and they want this relationship. And they also get on their knees daily and surrender to him so they can have that relationship because they know it's a daily thing. And that these are the people that when you look at them, they go out and they boldly and they confidently spread the word of God. They spread the gospel to everyone. And that's what we desire here as a church, as a body. We desire not to see people stuck in this consumer mindset. We desire to see people grow. We desire to see people getting after it. We desire to see people connected. See, we want people connected. We push small groups we push that relationship, that community, because we know it works. And we desire to see people surrender and become disciples and become faithful servants of Christ because we know him. We know he's faithful. We know his love. We know his sacrifice. And because we know that, we desire for everyone to know that. That's why we push small groups. That's why we push discipleship. Because we know this is how we're made to work. This is how we're designed. We see it, we've done it, we've experienced it. It's a real thing. And you know, in a church this size, as much as we love and we try so hard to get to know each and every one of you by name, because here at the cross, your story matters, it's really hard for us being a core group of staff to truly get to know everybody, to minister to everybody, to be there at all the hospital visits and whatever's going on in each and everybody's lives. But that's where small groups come into play. When you have a good group who can rally around you and be there to support you when something's going on, that's what they're there for. That's what they're needed because there's so many needs and so many people who are hungry for something that it takes a community to come together to do that, to pull out the tree ball or whatever it was, um, to, to, to accomplish something greater than you can accomplish on your own. And that's why small groups are important, to get through the things that you think you can do on your own, but you really need the help of other people to come around you. So as we wrap this up, I just want you to ask yourself a question. Who really knows me? Who, do I, who am I just totally open with, okay? Now, if you're married, hopefully one of those people is your spouse. But you've got to have somebody outside of that, too. Hopefully multiple people. I'm blessed to have many. And um, we were, my daughter, who's 13, she came to me about a month ago, and she was looking at the relationship that Josh Lee, who's one of our students here, um, who just graduated high school, has with Schmacker, um, who mentors him, and they do life together and stuff, and they meet often. And so my 13-year-old said, I, I want a relationship like that. And I said, who do you want to do it? And because I was pumped about that, obviously, as a pastor, I, I want people speaking life into her. She made a list of like 20 people here at the church, all qualified to do this. I'm talking age range from 20 to way older than that. <laughs> I wasn't going to guess one of the ages. Um, but this was a large chunk of people who, and I sat there like, 
it choked me up a little bit to be in a community where I trusted that many people to speak life into my 13-year-old daughter. But does, do I need it less than her? <laughs> no. I need that just as much. She's probably a lot easier to steer right now than I am. After 37 years of life and habits and things like that, that hopefully most of those are good, but she's, you know, at, at this age where she's going to take these words and run with them. We all need that, though. And when we talk, we seriously, I say this all the time, but it's true, and I'll keep saying it until you all believe it. We really believe in you. And you know what? So does Jesus. He says, they give you the ministry of reconciliation. He's sending you into the world, not the three dudes who sit with microphones. All of us. And you can't do it totally by yourself. You'll go drive yourself mad. You have to have people around you. Because some of those times are going to be super tough and you've got to speak through it. And some of those times are going to be, you need somebody to celebrate with. And we, so when we say we believe in you, it's because not only do we believe in you, we absolutely need you to expand the kingdom. As Tim would say, to Loganville and beyond. Because it's far more than this church and us filling every seat or anything like that. We want to see people come to know Jesus. And unless you're full on leaning in, going after it, going after him and going after real relationships where you can look at each other and speak honestly with people who really know you, you'll be missing out because you are built for it.